Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast brought to you by SME Strategy. Our goal on the Strategy and Leadership Podcast is to bring you practical and actionable tools that you can implement with your teams right away. My name is Anthony Taylor and I'll be your host. Each episode, I'll interview a senior leader or a thought leader that will help you elevate your ability to lead people and drive your organization's strategy forward. Our partner is Cascade Strategy. They're our favorite tool for tracking and executing strategic plans, providing visibility for your entire team, and helping everybody have insight into where you're going and what you need to do to get there. If you're looking to improve your strategy execution, visit smestrategy.net slash cascade for a link for a free 90-day trial so you can see for yourself if you enjoy it and helps your team move forward. So with that, I want to thank you again for joining us and we'll get into today's guest. Just as a sort of means of getting started. So Tova's background, she's the author of the world's shortest book on inclusion, which I don't know if that's a Guinness Book of Records, called Win, 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 which is 18 inclusionisms, which I know we're going to get into. Founder of Blue Note Arts and Film Festival. I started an agency called Reachability about 22 years ago in Nova Scotia, and I'm the CEO and the founder of that. And that's really dedicated to services to persons with disabilities, from self-confidence to the arts. And you mentioned the Blue Nose Ability Arts and Film Festival, which we call BAAFF.ca. And that is Canada's only disability arts festival dedicated to both emerging and professional artists in many fields. We're trying to bring that disability arts community together. And also, yes, I am the author of, I don't know if it's the world's shortest book. My mother wouldn't like that. But it is a book that's very brief in terms of the messaging, which is 18 things that you can do right now to become a disability confident employer. And I use that term very carefully and very purposefully because what we need now is not just the goodwill, which I think we have, but what we need to talk about, of course, today is how to apply all that goodwill and make it real. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you get started on this, you know, 20 year plus journey of moving this forward? And it's interesting because as you see, like how the world changes, even on a day to day basis, that 20 years ago might not have been the thing that it was. And I still believe we have so far to go. So how did you begin on this journey? And then we'll go from there. Yeah, well, I appreciate that question because really it starts with a personal journey as it usually does for anyone who chooses this particular field. You won't be surprised to hear, oh, I happen to have experience around disability. I'm not only a person who lives with disability and I'm very comfortable discussing that around the ADHD spectrum. I call it like a rainbow without all the color. So you've got the mild, you've got the medium and you've got the severe. I'm very severe on that spectrum. You'll notice that a little bit now that I've pointed it out to you as we talk, whereas before you you might have been just curious why I'm like that. So with that, though, comes also mental illness. I live with anxiety and depression, which I manage through a combination of medication and therapy. So I come to you both as a first person voice as well as professional. And because I'm the youngest of five children, my entire family had a disability. My mom used to serve box, uh, voice box because she lost her voice box to cancer. My father was using dialysis. I had a sister who needed a wheelchair, a brother who recently passed from Crohn's and cancer combination. So I lived with disability my whole life and I was really, really surprised, Anthony, when I got out there and people were so tripped out about the idea of someone with disability. And the reason 
reason that's so surprising to me is between you and me, everyone's going to have had, has, or will have one. So what the heck are we talking about? Yeah, I get that. So obviously that experience, lived experience and continually, why is it important as employers and individuals move forward towards both greater understanding, but actually taking actions to moving it forward. Why is win, win, win a critical part of making that successful? I hope you'll, you'll, you'll indulge me just a little because I don't like to go on too long, but you got to mention Stephen Covey if you're going to talk about win, win. For in the 1980s, Stephen Covey was the guru in some ways, many people still consider to be around best business practices. Thinking about, I always have to use the used car salesman because in my head it just makes so much sense. Covey's idea was, instead of the used car salesman winning or the customer winning, why don't we let them both win? Okay, the used car guy may not make quite as much money, but he'll probably get more referrals. Let's think about this logically. And the customer, they may pay a little bit more, but they know the guy's reliable and he'll stand behind his product. These are the kinds of things Things that Covey really talked about in the idea of going win-win. Business years ago used to be someone's going to lose if someone's going to win. So that was kind of a new way of thinking. And I really reflected on it a lot. And I felt in the times we are in today, it just wouldn't cut it. That today, and certainly no offense to Covey, I haven't sold 85 million books, although Amazon.ca, Amazon.com, win, win, win. But what seriously I want to say is I know there's a third win in everything we do if we're going to be an inclusive workplace. And certainly not just of persons with disabilities, but all of our what I would call marginalized communities, uh, whether that's our BIPOC community, LGBTQ+++, whether that's persons with disabilities, our newcomers community. There's a lot of groups that are particularly marginalized. And the inclusionisms are really based on just really best practice? No, no, no. Let's call it next practice because best isn't really enough anymore. So let's talk next practice. Either you blaze a trail as a business or you follow. I love it. So I want to ask, obviously, about the book, and I want to just show, like, highlight what's different about it. But I want to just ask, and maybe it's a dumb question. I always ask dumb questions. What are people missing? What are people missing around this? What aren't they doing? What should they be doing? Why is it why it's so complicated? Like, what's the deal? Okay. Are we? Do people actually ever watch the visual part of your podcast, or is it more just for you and everyone? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. So this is my movement. I'm going to do a little Zen moment. I'm going to take a deep breath for those who are listening and put my hands together in a very Zen way and then give you the answer. Here we go. Very dramatic. (sighs) Bias. Conscious or unconscious. The fact is, studies show, and there was a very important study done in 2020 in the States, and it's comparable to our workplace. We're we're very little difference, especially in the areas of inclusion. But what I want to say is, what we talk about is the fact in this study specifically that unconscious or conscious bias is the single piece that is keeping persons with disabilities out of the workplace. That means these employers, although desiring inclusion, because they aren't what we what I call disability confident, and meaning they aren't confident about disability, they don't want to do the wrong thing. They have these myths that they're basing their bias on until leaders, and I'll say it from the top down, and one of my inclusionisms is the fish stinks from the head. Remind me to show you the picture. It's awesome. Anyway, the fish stinks from the head, and it really does mean exactly what it sounds like, which is the leaders have to acknowledge that I'm not just desiring to do it, but I hold bias, and so do the majority of my team around what it would take to be disability confident, and until I acknowledge that, 
all these checklists and top five things you can do articles and last three things you need to do articles and how many CEOs say to me, Tova, tell me, just tell me the three things I've got to do. You know, I'm a busy man and I say, or woman, forgive me, but, and the number one thing I say, stop the train and admit you don't know that your information is not based on fact. And that as a result, you can call it stigma, you can call it prejudice, is the result is bias. And until we acknowledge its presence, and that takes a certain amount of emotional intelligence work. I know people are like, oh, emotional, so I'll just, oh, I did that course. I get it, okay? But the truth is that really I'm referring to the kind of emotional intelligence it takes to go, I don't freaking know, you know? Where did I learn about disability? Well, I'll tell you, because this is where everyone learned about it. At home, you either whispered about, you know, that crazy old uncle or something, or you laughed about it. In the work, excuse me, in the schoolyard, you learned about it. And trust me, as a kid in that schoolyard, it was not pretty being the odd kid. I didn't even know I was odd, but I was odd by mainstream standards. You know, today we can call it neurodiverse, but I was odd. So the reality is we learned about it maybe in the schoolyard, the whispers or the jokes in the family. Don't talk about it. Or perhaps we learned about it in a movie of the week. And you and I both know the only reason it made movie of the week is because it's the one in a zillion times where a guy loses his whole memory and not just his short-term memory, which is where it mostly happens because it's up here. And that's what gets banged first. So, I mean, it's, it, it's these sources that are so extreme. And the final fourth place is my boyfriend, Anderson Cooper, and his like that basically are telling us the most extreme piece of news. They do not report bipolar dad doing great, holding down two jobs, three kids. Everyone's doing all right. Tough days. But here we are. That's not news. So if your sources are those four things, especially your original sources, no one taught me about it in school. No one gave me an opportunity to really investigate what disability meant to me and my family. In the 30s, 40s and 50s in Canada, people were driving blocks away around neighborhoods of someone polio in the neighborhood. Because of the myth, because of the bias that had been set there and allowed essentially to permeate into everything. And then now there's all these wonderful people who've read every study from Forbes, from McKenzie Report, excuse me, from everybody. I've been on the Hill. I like that one. And we're hearing the same things. What we're hearing is the more diverse the company, the more inclusive the better their stock returns. I'm not making this up. All these realities of why you want to be inclusive. So employers are reading their Harvard Business Reviews. They're getting it. And they're going, yeah, man, my my dad's got a disability. My sister, my kid, I want to be inclusive. I'm here. So that's great. What's the next step? We'll talk about it. Well, that's the thing. It's like, I think there's the, the bias of, okay, I understand it intellectually. And the same thing we go into organizations intellectually, you recognize you have a problem, but then you're like, yeah, but, and then you pointed to it, it's like, well, what if I look bad? Like that look bad risk is so much greater than the sort of opportunity of what it is. And people, I don't know what it is that people can't get around it. Is it, is it that they're just so worried about looking bad that that's the worst psychological pain that they could ever face? And therefore it's going to put them into inaction as, as it relates to moving forward. Is that the roadblock or is it something else? 
Well, what you just said is a great example for me to show you how win-win-win works. Because what you're saying is that employers are really concerned about looking bad. So right away when you have a more inclusive workplace that people see persons perhaps with disabilities, not just physical, but all kinds, it's discussed, it's open, it's not shamed, and all of those things, that's a win because he's going to look less bad to his customers, to the coworkers, to the new employees, to the big bosses, to the investors. So right there we have one win, how you cannot look bad by including people with disabilities. The next win is it's proven that it's profitable to do so. And the third win is you're taking work off your desk because people with disabilities don't quit as much. They don't have as many sick days. Those are the truths versus the myths. Yeah. And when I was thinking about it, not from like an organizational perspective, like the individual, like you are having a coffee with somebody and it's like the CEO, male or female or other, the board chair other whatever it's like some human being one human being needs to make a choice and then to be able to get everybody around so i don't know if you have any inclusionisms that would be applicable to that one person like stepping out onto the skinny branch and saying hey we need to do this we need to do this now and it starts with me and the non-inclusion ends right now so any inclusionisms that might be appropriate for that well i have to tell you the quote i live by which i can't take credit for it because it was written in the 1800s by Edward Everett Hale, a poet. But I will tell you, because even though it's not in my book, it's worth saying at this moment, and that's more important. And that is, I never let that which I cannot do get in the way of that which I can. Hmm. And there's so much I cannot do. And there are so many things I will not change. But that does not mean I don't keep trying, and it does not mean I don't do what I can. Now, in the book, you know, what I'm trying to do, and you're saying that, you know, in terms of an inclusionism, it's probably the most basic one, dignity, plain and simple. If you truly believe in dignity, you know what's great? Here's another win. You don't have to be politically correct. I wouldn't know how to be. I live on the ADHD spectrum. Impulse is a problem for me. And let me tell you, if I wasn't committed to dignity, plain and simple, I would be in trouble every day. Because I couldn't manage the latest, you know, sort of politically correct move. But if I'm just concerning myself with dignity for everyone and equal opportunity offense, I'm usually pretty good. Yeah. And I think that if we use another quote, the one I like is, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And I find that when you go into these conversations and you're, you're owning what you stand for. And you're like, I don't care. Like, I'm standing for something way bigger than myself. That's like the army behind you to say, hey, I'm standing up for what's right. It might make me look bad, but at the end, it's like principle driven and it's my commitment. So you don't need to worry about the right words. I find I'm the least effective when I try to worry about the right words. And when I'm standing fully in what I believe in, then it makes me, okay, I've got this because no matter how it ends, I'm happy with how I went. So instead of worrying about the fact you asked someone with visual impairment, did they watch Grey's Anatomy last night? You're like, oh, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. I'd rather not have them in my workplace than have to worry about that. How about you worry about whether or not there's a different way to do the job that's smarter, faster and better that they can bring to the table because they're used to solving problems all the time. Remember, all of your corporate folks know this. This is a brain economy and the brain economy demands creative, diverse problem solvers. And the beauty, I mean, I I always refer to Gladwell, uh, David and Goliath, you know, the whole idea of when you simply have all this adversity in your way, because the world is not built for you and doesn't really want to deal with you, you become very, 
very good at adapting, being creative, coming up with solutions that no one else could because you're coming from such a different and unique perspective. And that certainly includes all diverse groups, certainly not exclusively persons with disabilities. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just like, I'm taking all of that in because it's, it's, yeah, it's true. So can we share some of the book? And I really want to highlight both the text and visual component. So while you're doing that, everybody, if you're enjoying this, be sure to subscribe so you can listen to more of this and get the recording. And that way you can make sure that you see all of the pictures after. And if you're watching on YouTube, or if you want to have a question in the chat, just put it in there so that we can uh, get those to Tova and anything, anything you want, because she said she's an open book. And, uh, I believe it. So, and I'm Speaking sure in the 15 minutes you got it. Um, I love I it. I mentioned earlier the fish stinks from the head. I want you to know that for every ism in the book, there's not only a very brief description of what we're really saying, but an in practice section that actually allows you to apply it today. You don't need to hire 400 people to do it. And the artwork was done with partners from the Blue Nose Ability Arts and Film Festival because we want to remind all of your corporate partners that when we're thinking about art and diversity and inclusion in our workplace, let's start thinking about all these incredibly creative artists with disabilities right in our own backyard. And these are certainly all Canadian artists that are doing fantastic work. And for instance, just because you can't see it doesn't mean it isn't here is very important because we have a mindset of if we don't see something, it doesn't exist. And certainly considering that in the workplace is important. And what I liked was how the artist created a quilting of the differences just because you don't see what's happening in my brain doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And as you may know, and if you don't, let me share with a statistic, $50 billion every single year is lost to mental health issues alone in the workplace, just in short and long-term leave. Mm. Number one in Canada is mental health issues. And my good news for you all is you can avoid it by simply not avoiding it. You heard me. That's going to be in the next book. <laughs> you want to avoid people being off on sick leave due to mental health and stress? Pay attention to them because the signs are going on forever. Unless there's a traumatic incident, you will have a lot of warning when there's a challenge and a lot of time to address it if you're looking. The challenge is the desire is there. But there's still too much fear based on the information we've been fed by bias. So one of my top isms I'm going to give you right now is there's only two ways to be inclusive, education and osmosis. Now, I'm not going to spend immense time on education, although I am a speaker across Canada doing conferences and writing a lot of articles all the time about this issue. And everybody wants to know, you know, the answer, the quick one. But the truth be told that education is really about a foundation. It's about saying nobody knows it. Like Tova said, we learned it all in the wrong places. So let's build the foundation so our workplace is welcoming of people from the top down. 
And that means obviously education. But osmosis is a little different. When I'm doing a lot of public speaking, and I, I do miss that part since COVID, is going out and talking to people in person. Although I've become a bit of a Zoomer on a number of levels because now I'm over 55. So I think that makes me one too. <laughs> oh, golly, I didn't even know I did that. Okay, where was I? Here's where the ADHD kicks in. I drift. Osmos- osmosis Thank and you. education. Osmosis. God bless your soul. I'm in a crowd and I'm talking about maybe something as simple as removing architectural barriers and somebody says, I see this in the audience. They're shaking their head up and down, you know, really affirmatively, big smile, you know, thumbs up, I get it. I know that person has worked with a person who uses a wheelchair because they are showing their comfort. Of course, it's easy. Just don't do this and do this. How do they know that if they weren't given the education piece? Osmosis. That means with until you integrate people in, you almost have a challenge getting to the point where people are welcomed. So if you're not doing education and you're not creating an environment where the people that have disability and are diverse are being acknowledged and they're there and they're seeing themselves reflected in leadership, meaning it's more than just hiring, it's promoting where are we with promoting people with disabilities? Statistics show in North America, we're the craps. Is it because we're holding the bias? You bet it is. So I want to, we talked about the mental health and the short and long-term leave. You know, this is being recorded spring 2021. We're in the next year of COVID, which is a whole other kettle of fish, which I do want to talk about. But I want to get into that concept of, of talking about it, right? Like how do board members, senior leadership team members, they say, okay, let's have, and this is going to sound, this is just my world of meetings. Let's have a 90 minute meeting to talk about X. How do they approach that? Do you got to create ground rules? Do you got to make it a safe space? Do you got to have a specific topic? Do we just say, hey, we suck at it and let's just admit it? Or we're trying to say we're good at it and we're really not good at it or vice versa. What is our next step? our listeners can take to be right. able to just start talking about the world. Right. Of this. So if I've got 90 minutes to talk about disability or, or what it means to our business, the value of people who are diverse and all of that, the first thing I'm going to do in my 90 minutes, gosh, that's short, eh? I think you could read my book in 90 minutes if that helps. But no, really what I would do is break, go back way back to values. The problem here is again, we're treating disability and inclusion of persons with disability like as add-on. All the HR people are going, I don't have any time for more. What do you mean more? This is core. Oh God, that's going in too. This is core, not more, right? But you're going to write the next book because you keep writing these down. But the truth is, it's really about stepping back and saying, we never even had diversity as a value. Let's stop the train and go back to our five values. I just did this recently at my agency and, you know, we're pretty good about the diversity stuff. And I said, let's rebuild our values. I have a lot of new staff. We're changing times. I want to be more inclusive of other diverse groups, not just persons with disabilities and make sure they're represented. And so we've stepped back to the very basics and said, what are our corporate values? Well, to be loyal or honest, you know, really corporate values. What's missing in our values as it relates to inclusion? That third wind Tova keeps talking about. The idea that it, when we include people with disabilities, the employer wins. Stockholders are making more money. Clients see themselves reflected. The person themselves has a decent job and is recognized for their skills, right? So what we're really saying is that all we have to do is think in terms of three wins, but the first step is to stop thinking about it as some new 
add-on trend just because, admittedly, there's the ACA, Accessible Canada Act, just been passed. I've been consulting on a lot of the things that have been going on here locally and just understanding it and working. I'm also um, um, consulting a little bit on my Provincial Accessibility Act so that we're working on. And it's really wonderful to be part of the community that gets to hear about it and recommend and talk about it. It's just a wonderful thing. So what I'm saying, though, is it's out there. So the law is compelling you. The stats show it. And nobody's got time. And you know what the worst part is? One of my isms is screen in, don't screen out. HR people hate me. Tova, I can't screen in. I don't have time to look at 20,000 resumes. But here's the problem. If you're using software as a, small, a large company, you've already said bias is acceptable. Because mm. someone like myself may not have learned what I learned by going to the University of Manchester. And if the University of Manchester verbiage is your preference, those biases will creep in. And people who could have done things in the most creative, interesting way, like myself, aren't part of that team. Yeah, that's uh, they say that like it's it's a bias because of the programming. And so anything you program, like the codex, which, again, goes back to the it's not extra. It's at the core of how we do things. And so but screening out is even biased, because what you're saying is if you don't, if you have a gap in your resume. I took a year off to take care of my dad and I was kind of fishing my resume at the time. And I saw no one wanted to touch me because I'd been off for six months. And then I realized I have to put in my cover letter, I've been caring for my father in his palliative time. And all of a sudden, everybody thinks you're a mensch. Everybody wants to know you. And you're a good guy and you're loyal and it's great. But as soon as someone sees a gap, they screen out. And my message to HR is when they say, I don't have time, I said, we didn't have time for a lot of things we do today because it's the right thing. And it's the best for our company. And I can prove it. I don't have to do the studies. They're all over the place. Mm. Well, I think it's funny that and if you don't have time to do it right the first time, when are you going to have time to do it over again? You're not going to do it. That's the problem. Yeah. Well, then, because like, what I point it to is that if we don't talk about it now, we're going to have to deal with it later in the term of, in the form of short and long term leave. We're going to deal with it in the form of losses. We're going to deal and with it in terms of competition. Anthony, we've got yeah. all this ACAs, BCs coming up with the provincial, Manitoba, Ontario, Nova Scotia. We've all got them. So we've got these regulations coming out, and they do affect everybody. And the ACA in particular, the Accessible Canada Act, is presently focused on, obviously, government itself doing the right things and getting their, their, their ducks in a row. But and public service going there, but further, all of the people that contract. So any hotel that's keeping, you know, government guests, we hope they'll be back soon, you know, and all of this are also going to be compelled to create a plan that involves showing your commitment to inclusion of persons with disabilities in your workplace. And if yeah. you're not thinking about it now, it's going to creep up on you and you're going to have a problem. And globally, because we've got a global audience, but obviously focused on Canada with the regulation, it's happening everywhere. And every day on the news, we see something that is exclusionary. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit because we talked about the values. We talked about it's not an add on. It's got to be at the core. We looked at the organization. Now, let's say you have these values. You say you value diversity inclusion. That's the talking the talk. What about, and this is two levels, walking the walk, what does that really look like? And what does that look like, like top down, as in moving it from the CEO or the board directing it versus you're a frontline person. And while it might not be mandated in your company, you say, hey, in my team, I want to do blank. So I'll let you 
take that whichever way. Well, you I will ask you a question just to um, back a little bit. When a company does their values, which you and I both know is the most core thing, it's like, who are we? What do we stand for? That's really, really rudimentary. That's really foundational. So from that point, you have to say, how do we apply these values? The mission, you know what I mean? What actions are we taking? It becomes part of your core mission once you enter it into values. So you literally can't move forward and just skip 30 steps. Okay, now we'll do a class. You actually have to then integrate. I mean, this is how companies work. I mean, you look at your values, then you say, how are we going to meet this value? Just like we've been trying to meet, let's say your value is to be loyal. All right. So for 50 years, we've been a loyal company. We're really loyal. We we follow up with customers. We check in to see if they liked our lawnmowers, you know, whatever it is. And then the idea is now you're going back and adding a value to represent and reflect the diverse community in which I live. Hmm. It could be that simple. But now, how are we going to integrate it just like everything else? You must give it the level of importance any other value has, which now we're saying you've done. So now it's time to talk to someone like Atova to come in and structurally, and you said it from the top down, nothing, nothing is worse for the morale of a workplace than for the bosses to go, this is important, and no bosses show up to anything. The training is all done by the, you know, the mid-management and down, and everybody's going, so where's uh, Tova? Can you say that again for the people in the back? Yeah, I, I always speak loud enough for the people in the back. I don't have to repeat anything. But <laughs> the, the truth, I always thought I should have been on Broadway. The truth is that we have to be clear, really clear, that valuing something and creating it is one of your values. I've really asked you to do something serious there. That's not a flippant move. Companies don't just go revisit their values every three months. There are companies that are 150 years old and haven't added a value because it was the core values. I'm saying let's add a new value and it will guide much like any value you put into your core plan as a business, whether that's loyalty. Now it's inclusion, inclusion of different voices that reflect my community in order to not only better reflect it, but better serve it. Because that's what the studies show. This is all win, win, win. A little investment up front for the ability to broaden your talent pool. That means right person, right job. I never tell people to just hire a guy with disability. He's a nice guy. I tell them you're not thinking curiously. So the one thing you have to maintain, and it is really a piece of emotional intelligence, is that stay curious. That ability, and I don't mean what the hell is wrong with you, curious. I mean the ability to say, I really don't freaking know, and that's okay. I don't have to know this. I know all about being the best CEO in the world, but I don't know what it's like to live with partial vision. Okay, that's okay. Be curious. By staying curious and not assuming you know things, you are opening your entire company up to the possibilities. But if that curiosity isn't expressed from the top, then you can be assured it will not succeed. I can promise you that. Hmm. And I think that's a really, just really valuable for uh, the CEOs in the room, like for everybody at the leadership, the first step, and we talked about it like the first 10 minutes or whatever, was just admit that you don't know anything. And that's okay. Similarly to like, if you walk into a room of having that commitment to diversity or inclusion or whatever it is, that like, hey, I'm going to admit right away that I don't know. And at least in my experience, I found it gives me the freedom to actually ask the questions because I've already, I'm not trying to accomplish anything. I'm just, I just genuinely don't know. I have no idea how that's going to go, but I, I at least am willing to admit what I don't know.
Yeah. So now all the other CEOs are going crazy right now because they have to have tangible, tangible. Give me a tangible. I'll give you a tangible just because I can't give one side of the room a treat without giving the other. Here's the tangible. You have got to start creating genuine relationships with the communities that you are interested in. And I don't mean shake the hand of a person in a wheelchair. I mean, like, reach out to agencies like a reachability here in Nova Scotia that works across the country and trying to create inclusion. But find an agency that interests you. Find an agency like I've worked with our airport and we've done book drives because the staff wanted to do something. I've had different um, RBC ones came and planted a garden with us. It's more than just sending the ads. And I've had corporate CEOs say to me, I was very disappointed, Tova. I reached out to this agency, you know, let's call it reachability, but it wasn't. And I sent them an ad. Every time I had a job, I sent them ads. And they said, and we, it hasn't helped. I said, wait a minute. When did you do this? He goes, well, let's say it's about pre-COVID, two years ago, before COVID. All right, so let's look at the last two years because we can't do it during COVID. It's a whole other microcosm. So what did you do? I sent them an email and told them we'd love to send them our ads and they're an agency for a, a, a certain diversity group. Okay, great. Then what? I started sending them the ads. Okay, okay, sure. I'm sure they appreciated the email. They got the ads, great. And did anybody apply? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, we got some applications. Great. In those two years, how many people did you interview? I'm sorry? How many people did you interview? This is CEO level people. How many people did you interview from your HR department come in? A few. Okay. Okay. No problem. How many did you hire? Oh, none, none, none. So let me understand, you've engaged this agency over two years with an email saying you're sending jobs, some good job ads, you've interviewed maybe one or two people in two years, and you've never hired any of their people and you're disappointed in the engagement? I said, excuse me, they're disappointed in the engagement. There's nothing authentic about hitting send to 400 people. We're used to people wanting to check a box, Anthony. People in my field get it. There's a lot of people checking boxes. I did it. I They said I had to have a diversity group. I put a couple people together. They're meeting every month. I don't even know what about. I don't care. I did it. I'm not saying everyone's like that because, as you know, we opened today with the reality that I think people genuinely want the inclusion piece because of the win-win-win of it. We've learned this now. We get it. The studies show. The question now is, are we able to welcome them or is our bias so impacting at the door that they can't even get through. And that's what I mean when I say you got to screen in a little. You got to say just because Tova had a gap, just because this person maybe did it differently or says the verbiage differently, I'm really going to have to actually try harder because bias is built in. And let's be honest, we know this about many, many diversity groups in the workplace. Yeah. I'll give you an opportunity as we begin to wind up. If anybody has any questions, to be sure to put them in the chat on either YouTube or in the podcast that we got today. I, I make a joke and this is a little self-deprecating, but I say like, you know, I didn't get fat overnight. And it's like, you know, you didn't develop the bias overnight. You're not going to fix the bias overnight. And really to recognize that it is a journey and to say, hey, like, what is that outcome that we want? I always tie it back to vision. I'm a strategic planning guy and saying sure. the values are going to help our vision. So if we see our company being diverse or, or our organization, if we see it being innovative, as we see it being open, then you got to tie it back to the vision, the values. That's the like, what are we going to do to get the result? And 
I found it interesting when you use that like job placement example, in my mind, that was a win-lose. It's either I get this or they get that. Not like, hey, I need to have that win, win, win. At the end of the day, I'm committed to supporting this agency, not what can this agency give me. If you approach it like that, you're destined to fail because you're setting it up. That There's no wins. wins. Yeah, I mean, if you could do three wins, I'm just saying, I'm not a genius here, and I haven't sold 85 million books yet, but I will tell you, three wins means corporate success. It's not that easy. If it was freaking easy, man, we'd have a lot more corporate success. But the truth is, the answers are in front of us. Go back to the beginning, add it to our values, and just like any value, how would we integrate it into our workplace? We're making a mistake, making it seem like, you know, I ordered dinner and now this is the add-on. You know, when you go to, speaking of food, you go to Dairy Queen and they give you that Sunday if you get the combo deal. Anyway, I'm just saying I like the Sunday. The point is, you don't have to have the Sunday, you can still have the burger. I mm. want to have the, you know, I, that was a terrible place. I got you. I, I love it. I was hungry. <laughs> you know what the problem is? I'm hungry and you said food and I lost my train of thought with food. But the point is, I, I really want to, I, I really want to bring this home. And that is that by going back to the beginning and not making this an add on, we're literally building it into the weaving it into the structure of our business, which will automatically answer the question that I'm always getting, which is what are the three things I got to do right now? So I'm inclusive. And then I'll say something like, stay curious. And they're like, oh, crap. Yeah, that's too ethereal. Give me like the, uh, well, add it to your values and watch what happens to your original values. How do they get treated? Let's go back and try it. Yeah. And as we all know, no good meal is not complete without a good dessert. But dessert makes the meal better. So it's not an add on. It's a critical component to it. Um, we're planning a diversity and inclusion summit to be able to have more of these conversations in September of 2021. So Can't wait. M- maybe if you want to come and chat with us. I'm again, coming. Yeah, you know you it. There we go. I'm already in. Awesome. Never and we're mind. Gonna, we need to have the conversations. And I think it goes back to that curious. So shout out to everybody who made time to be on here today, because it just shows that's the commitment. You took the time. You're going to come back. And my challenge to you is now. Actually, I got two challenges. And Tova, you can add a third one because everything is greater in threes. Okay. One is talk to your team and tell them what you learned today. Like if you had a takeaway, you certainly had one. Tell one person what it is. Two. Find an organization in your community that you can have a virtual coffee with. I can't. Neil Squire Society, shout out to you guys. You guys have a great program. Uh, Rick Hansen Foundation in Vancouver, great programs. You know, just find somebody, have a coffee, say, I want to learn more about what you do. It starts with an action. So those are my two challenges. Tova, what's another challenge that you have for our people? I want everyone to start hashtagging stay curious and let people understand by being curious what that might mean. I don't have it set up as some big hashtag. Maybe you should, Anthony, but, you know, where people hashtag it and come back. And we related to the idea of win, 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 because everybody wins when we're curious. And frankly, everything gets messed up. When we're not, we just assume we got it. I know, you know, I just stopped from swearing. Bless your heart, Anthony, for noticing. Uh, for those of you not watching, it was so obvious. You really should watch just for that. You know? <laughs> so as we begin to wrap up, can you show us one more beautiful image from your book? Because I think it would really just highlight. I love art. I'm a big art person. My wife knows why do we have a picture of Razor Ramon in the living room now? But I love art. So let's highlight another artist. Okay. Let's talk one about one of the isms and then you can let people know where they can okay, get Okay, this is a fun one on our way out because it's one of my personal ones. Pitch, don't bitch. 
When someone comes to me and says the printer doesn't work, I ask them if they tried plugging it in first. In other words, don't come to me with any issue if you haven't at least made an effort to solve it. And I love the art of pitch don't bitch because there's nobody who's going to sound more like they're bitching than the call of a crow. And this is some beautiful artwork. And I want to add one more because I'm going to do it fast enough that we can. And I really love this saying because for me, it's very important for businesses. You can remove all the architectural barriers in the world, but the attitudinal ones, that bias still remains. And this is one of my favorite photographers, Nigel Beck. And you can't necessarily see it, but it's an old phone saying, Call to remove bias or stigma. What does it say? I call to remove barriers. Sorry, I don't have my good glasses. And there you go for reading. So photography, painting, embroidery, it's all in there because we want to remind your corporate friends, Anthony, that if they want to support persons with disabilities in Canada, they can do it not just through employment, not just through agency engagement, but also showing the art of accomplished artists in their businesses and offices. Absolutely. I love that. Thank you. That was so cool. So, and you can also buy the book. Um, if oh, you want Amazon.ca, Amazon.com or www.reachability.org. I'm not on Twitter. It's too mean. I'm sensitive. <laughs> no, we talked about that. I wasn't going to bring Twitter up. Uh, I could do it. I could do it. No, I know you can. I was, no, I'm going to ask you that. Okay. We got the book. We put the link in the chat. Last chance for questions. Tova, how can people get a hold of you? Uh, again, I'm Tova, T-O-V-A, at reachability.org. Really, that's my email. That's the only way you need to get a hold of me unless you need to phone us at 902-429-5878. I'm not kidding. I just reach out and say, Tova, I want you to speak at my next conference. Tova, I'd like to find a book. Tova, how can you help my son? What province are you on? I'm going to send you to that province. We are here because we believe in equalizing the playing field for everybody from the top down. And it takes disability confident employers to do that. So I really thank you, Anthony, for giving me a chance to share that. That was my pleasure. I believe in it and I love it. And I'm really glad that you, I'm grateful for you to be here. And I think that this is certainly not the last conversation, although it might be the first. So Tova, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been such a blast. Folks, if you enjoyed today's conversation, be sure to put it in the chat, put it in the, uh, just anywhere, just tell your friends, put it on online. I think more people need to be able to uh, engage in these conversations. And it starts with just opening your mouth and being committed to doing it. So thank you, Tova. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you, everyone. And we'll catch everybody next time. Thanks, y'all. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Before you go, I wanted to make sure that you knew about our signature course that'll help you better align your team and get them bought into your strategic plan. It's presented really simply that whether you're a seasoned veteran or brand new to strategic planning, it'll help you better understand it. It'll help your team think more strategically and it'll help you better prioritize and set goals. Ultimately, it's going to give you a plan that you can execute successfully. If you have no idea how many plans that I see that look good, but are missing key components to make them successful, and we cover all of those missteps in the course. On top of all the video training, you'll get access to all of our workbooks and access to our knowledge base and community. The course is only $4.95, and you can get instant access to all of the videos, plus you can use the code PODCAST for $100 off course comes with a 100% money back guarantee. If you don't get value from the course, let us know and we'll give you all of your money back. So go to smestrategy.net slash course 
Use the code podcast for $100 off. And I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to support you and your team in getting alignment and moving your strategic plan forward. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next time.